If you've got your Bibles, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 13. We've been continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, and I love the words of Jesus. And now we're in this part of the teaching of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is speaking the parables, which is how he talked to the multitudes in stories, stories that set alongside of these earthly stories, heavenly meanings. I remember hearing years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith was saying that he had gone to seminary and he had a certain seminary instructor who said, don't even think about teaching the parables until you've been a pastor for 30 years. Well, that can be a little bit difficult if you're going through the word, right? But I can honestly say now I've been teaching for 40 years, so I I, I should qualify uh, to be able to teach on the parables. But even that, I will just say that I find myself that the older I get, the less dogmatic I become on things, and the more I realize that God is really smart, number one. And number two is I don't have all knowledge, okay? I can be wrong about many things, but, you know, that's what I love studying the Word because, you know, it's, it's something you continue to learn new things about, make new discoveries, and hopefully we do that together. And I try to teach in such a way that it's a discovery process for all of us and, uh, and so I always like to say that if you disagree with me, uh, just contact Dave Wallace. I could give you his cell number uh, and you can talk to him um, if you got issues. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. So Matthew chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 31. Now another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word that we can be gathered in your name. And we ask, Lord, for the insight of your Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Lord, help us to come to a right understanding of what you are seeking to tell us about the kingdom of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Jesus gives this parable about a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed, to get sort of scientific about this, is about one to two millimeters in diameter. And as it grows, it it typically grows into a large plant. I mean, if you've been driving and you see sort of the mustard fields uh, and they're all yellow, you know, you you know what we're talking about. It usually will get up to up to six feet high. So as far as herbs go, you know, I don't know if you have any herbs in your in your kitchen window uh, that are growing six feet tall. Probably not. Okay, so as herbs go, it's a pretty tall one. But uh, it's interesting here. Jesus said that it grows into a tree. Now, I don't know how many mustard trees you guys have been climbing since you were kids, but uh, we don't see too many mustard trees, okay? So right off the bat, Jesus is talking about something that is abnormal, an oddity, uh, abnormal growth, if you will. So much so that Jesus says that the, lar- that it, that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches, 
Okay, so now this is one of those parables where we don't get the interpretation from Jesus, so we're kind of left to ourselves to scratch our heads and figure it out. And I'll just say that when I was just, kind of like what Pastor Chuck was saying, when I was early in ministry teaching a home Bible study, I didn't always view the interpretation of this the way I do today. And so I'm going to give you kind of both interpretations uh, that people have come up with, and then I'll, I'll tell you why I believe the one that I do as we go. But the, the first interpretation is that people say the mustard seed represents the positive growth of the kingdom of God. It starts out small and it grows to spread through, throughout the entire world. So in every way, things are getting better and better as the kingdom grows. And the birds nesting in the branches are people who find a home, a shelter in the kingdom. Okay? There are two problems with this interpretation. First, there is this thing called expositional constancy. We talked about this earlier, but the idea here is that in the parables, when Jesus uses a certain symbol, uh, it means the same thing consistently throughout the parables and usually even throughout uh, the Word of God. And so the problem with this is that uh, when we covered the parable of the seed and the, the soils, we saw that the birds of the air were not a good thing. Now, I can relate to this because we have a big tree right over our barbecue and our back porch. And let me just tell you, that is a constant effort to remove bird droppings off my barbecue. Every time I got to go out there, there's like more bird droppings. Okay, so, so if, if you are, and, and by the way, if you feed birds, well, I, my neighbor, I like him, but you know, he feeds our, the birds <laughs> these peanuts. And I'm constantly digging up peanut sproutings in my, you know, I should just let it grow because then I could have a peanut, peanut farm. But anyway, so birds can be problematic. And we saw that the birds in, the, uh, in that parable of the seed in the soils are representing the devil as he snatches the word out of people's hearts so that they don't, it doesn't bring forth any fruit. So it's a bad thing in that first parable, but the people that have this first interpretation of this parable say, well, the birds are kind of good. There's just people that are nesting in the branches. Uh, secondly, um, it, it doesn't agree with history because while the church has defi definitely grew from its early days as just being a band of disciples, you know, uh, much of that growth has not been good. There's been a lot of things that the church has done that it has grown into that are not good. And it doesn't take that into account. Now, the second interpretation uh, is that Jesus here is predicting what would happen to the kingdom of God, i.e. the church, all the way until he returns again at the end of the age. Yes, it would grow, but the growth would be abnormal. Hence, it's growing into a tree. That's weird. That mustard grows into a tree. And the birds nesting in the branches represent evil people who make a place for themselves in the church. They, they find their way to sort of nest in what God is doing in his church. And that 
interpretation is consistent, for example, with the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, that's a parable Jesus actually gave us the interpretation. And he said that, you know, he, that the field is the world. He is the one sowing the wheat, which are the sons of the kingdom. And then the enemy, the devil, comes and he sows the tares or the weeds, which are the sons of of the evil one, okay? But they grow alongside each other. They're together coexisting even in the church and you can't tell them apart until God is going to sort things out at the end of the age. Well, this is consistent with the interpretation that says that, you know, there are bad people that are lodging in the branches of the church. These are sons of the wicked one, just as Jesus was saying in the previous parable. You see, Jesus is consistent in what he's saying through the parables. And so that's why I prefer this interpretation. I think it's consistent with what Jesus is teaching. Um, And historically, it's what we see happening in the church at large beginning early on, you know, beginning going back to like the fourth century. Okay, up up until then, there was a lot of persecution against Christians, beginning with the Jews in the first century. That's what Paul dealt with. As they moved into like the second and third century, there was persecution against the church by the Romans, i.e. they would feed them to the lions, right? Uh, if they would not renounce their faith and proclaim that Caesar was Lord. And so there was a lot of persecution. But then in the 4th century, Constantine becomes emperor in Rome. And Constantine claims to be a Christian. However, when he made, he actually made Christianity the official religion of Rome. So out went all the paganism and the polytheism and the gods and goddesses and all that and and, and came in uh, with Christianity. However, when Constantine made uh, that transition, he brought into the church many of the Babylonian practices, the pagan practices, the, the dates, the festivals, sort of adopted that into the Christian calendar. And there's a lot of weirdness that gets transported into the, the church. Not only that, but there's a lot of people. Now you see when Constantine came into power and proclaimed Christianity as the official religion, well, now it's politically incorrect not to be a Christian. And so there's a lot of people that suddenly were kind of thrown into this that really were hypocrites. They didn't really, uh, have, oh, they weren't true disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that began a lot of corruption in the church, a lot of people with wrong motives that were seeking the church as their way of of advancing themselves, of promoting their own agenda, of you know for a source of power or wealth, and and you see that developing um, in the church. Now, in the book of Revelation, as Jesus is writing the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. He addresses these people called the Nicolaitans. And he says that their practices I hate. The Nicolaitans, um, we don't really know from history who they were, except that the word means to rule over the people. That's what the Greek word means. And so it is thought that this was an early form of the priesthood. And the whole idea is what happened in the church is 
you began to get these people who were over others and there was a hierarchy that formed and there were priests, which, by the way, Peter tells us that we are a kingdom of priests. There's a universal priesthood in Jesus Christ. And yet they began to establish this difference between the clergy and the laity and they were ruling over the people. Well, that brought a lot of power structure into the church. And suddenly the church began not only to be, uh, not to be just the way it was in the early church, but now to be an ecclesiastical power, a political power. And we see that growing as, as uh, into the, you know, past that into the, even to the, the dark ages and so forth, as, as the Catholic church rose up to be this amazing power over kings. Well, that was never the way it was supposed to be. That is abnormal growth. And you can see, as you look through the history of the church and you see so many of the popes that were just, they were evil. They were murderous. They were immoral. They would, anybody that, you know, you start getting doctrine, for example, of the veneration of Mary, saying that uh, Mary was immaculately conceived. She remained a virgin perpetually. All of these things that the Bible has no uh, teaching on. They're unscriptural. And yet they began to find their way into the teaching and the doctrine of the church. And if you disagreed with what the Pope would say, okay, because the Pope suddenly can pontificate and whatever he says is doctrine just like the Scripture is doctrine. And if you disagree with that, well, guess what? You might be burned at the stake or whatever. And a lot of that kind of stuff happened during these dark ages. Those people who, for example... um, uh, Oh, it's escaping me, the name. Anyway, I should know this. But anyway, there are people that sought to translate the scriptures into the language of the people. And as soon as they translated, they would be marked as heretics and even put to death because they were simply trying to bring the scripture into the people. And, and of course, the church said, no, that's not supposed to happen. Uh, the people should not have the word of God. And so all of these kinds of things that brought evil influences into the church uh, have occurred. And it just hasn't occurred with the Catholic Church. There are people in Protestant, mainline Protestant denominations in any church that use the church and the kingdom of God to advance their own personal agenda and their own ambitions and to seek to use the church as a, a means of gaining wealth for themselves. We see it on television, okay? They're, they're, you know, they're all about fleecing the flock. All of that kind of stuff are the birds that nest in the branches that are evil. And you got to understand, don't be stumbled by this. Jesus said this was going to be the way it would be all the way until he comes. And why is that? Well, it comes down to the wicked heart of man. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so I believe that that is really the, the better interpretation I think it uh, it makes sense with what we see uh, in history. All right, well then, verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Now, leaven or yeast has the property of multiplying quickly and spreading throughout the flour, okay? That's... If you know anything about yeast, it's amazing. You know, just a little bit 
uh, will just leaven the whole lump as Jesus uh, well is illustrating here. Now, through the fermentation process, it's the yeast that is consuming the sugars in the flour and then releasing uh, carbon dioxide that causes the dough to rise. If you let that process continue, if you ever made bread, you know that it, you, you have a, a limited window of opportunity to bake your bread because if you leave it too long, it'll actually flatten out again and it will begin to turn into alcohol. <laughs> so that's the, the effectiveness of the yeast in the flour. Now, with the, as with the previous parable, there are two interpretations here. There are those here who see uh, the leaven as being a good thing. You know, again, it's sort of like they see it as being the, the influence of the gospel, of the, uh, uh, you know, permeating through the world. And, and, and like, you know, Jesus started with the band of disciples and they preached the gospel and that influenced those people. And then, and then the gospel will be preached to the entire world until everybody uh, is converted. Okay. Well, there's some truth to that. I mean, it certainly has permeated. The gospel has been preached in many nations. Many people have been converted throughout the world. We're thankful for that. But we don't see things getting better and better, do we? I mean, even in the nation, uh, our own nation, where the gospel has been preached is readily available, uh, much more so than so many nations that do not have a gospel witness uh, we have a lot in this country, and yet, are we seeing everybody converted as disciples of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Uh, they're not the kind of cr- Christians that the Bible talks about. Uh, so so the, the idea here that this is just going to spread and, and, and permeate everything uh, in a positive way doesn't make sense. Also, the big problem with this is it violates this rule of expositional constancy because leaven in the scripture in every other instance in the Bible is used in the negative sense, in the sense of bringing corruption to something. It's a, it's a type or a picture of evil. And so some people will say, well, the kingdom of God... King, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, and they just stop there. Well, they think, well, if the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, then it must be a good thing because the kingdom of heaven is a good thing. And I used to think this way myself, right? Uh, but you can't stop there because the point is Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this whole parable, okay? Not just the leaven and stop, but what is happening here, just like with the previous parable you have to look at the whole thing what is happening what is jesus saying is going to happen to the church all the way until he returns again and he's talking here i believe about the spread of evil within the church okay and that of course happened in the very beginning because there was false teaching there was false doctrine that permeated the church very early on okay so um and that's the you know interpretation I believe in. I think that it follows suit with the parable of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the mustard seed. It, it is speaking of a negative influence, a, an evil influence that comes into the church. Um, now, it's also interesting here that uh, the, the, Jesus says it is like Leaven that a woman hides 
into three measures of meal or flour, okay? She hides it in there. Well, that's an interesting choice of verbs, okay? And immediately that should call to mind the way the devil works, okay? Because he infiltrates. He, he hides things. He hides. The devil is smart, okay? He's smart. He knows he can do a lot more corruption and damage and division and compromise through 95% truth, 5% lie, okay? Than he ever could through 100% lie, okay? So, so he infiltrates, he creeps in, he corrupts, he's by stealth, he hides it in the meal, the flour, okay? With the intention of bringing about corruption, okay? And he learned, and this is the whole thing with Constantine, he learned a long time ago that direct assault against the church, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's what, you know, uh, Tertullian, the early church father said. Uh, so he had, the devil got smart, okay? You can't beat him, join him. And so he... he he hides false teaching into the church and other things, leaven uh, that infiltrates and corrupts the church. Okay, so again, this is very consistent with what Jesus taught in other places. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hey, Jesus had had it to hear with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They pretended to be what they were not. Jesus would later call them, you guys, you know, you are whitewashed tombs. You look all pretty on the outside. You give the appearance of being righteous, but inside you're full of malice. You're full of corruption and greed and hatred and murder. You know, you're hypocrites. You're actors. And so Jesus said, okay, you guys, beware of hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees. Why? Because it spreads like leaven through uh, dough, you know. And once we start, and here's the basis of it. We want people to think that we are more righteous than we are truly. <laughs> that is the basis of hypocrisy. And you pretend to be something you are not. And we know what a stumbling block hypocrisy is to people in the world. Okay? I don't want to be part of the church. Nothing but a bunch of hypocrites in the church. And, so, and there, there's some truth to that. But I always just say, you know what? We all fall short in what we profess in some way. So, you know, one more hypocrite in the church, won't matter, why don't you join us? Uh, because that's the reality of it. We all struggle with these things, right? So that's the reality. So, um, But Jesus said you got to be on guard for this because it does spread easily. So the question, I want to ask us some questions because I really believe what Jesus is saying through all this is, you know, Make sure there's no leaven in your heart, no leaven in your life, no leaven in the church. Now, I can't answer for the whole church, but I can answer for me personally. And I do know that the Bible says that judgment must begin in the house of God. If we will judge ourselves, then we won't be judged by God. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you do not want to be judged by God? Amen. 
I would much rather judge myself and with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, so, you know, so question one, do I lead people to think that I'm more righteous than I really am? You know, I found it's just better to be honest with people. If you're struggling, say I'm struggling. I mean, it's okay. We all struggle. There's nobody sinless here. And that's what I honestly love about Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley, and I hope always with our church is that people feel that they are comfortable enough to be who they are, good, bad, or indifferent. We're sinners saved by grace. Amen? You know, nobody else need apply. <laughs> uh, because we have a Savior that, that takes us where we're at and changes us. Uh, but um, we need to be honest with one another. Okay, so that's the first thing. Secondly, we see that 11 also represents false teaching. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 6, again, he said to his disciples, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood, verse 12, that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So here Jesus is saying, beware of their doctrine. Their teaching, their teaching is false. It is not true teaching of God. Beware of it. It's 11. It will spread. It will corrupt and destroy. Okay. Now for the Pharisees, this false teaching was legalism. Okay. The idea, and Jesus said, you know, that they taught as doctrine the teachings of men. They had their own oral traditions. This is why they wanted to kill Jesus was because he healed on the Sabbath. Well, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible you can't heal on the Sabbath, you can't do good on the Sabbath. It said that it was to be a day of rest and they wanted to kill Jesus because he didn't go along with their Sabbath interpretation. And they had all kinds of rules that they added to what God said in his word and he, they judged people by their own opinions and even would, in this case, kill Jesus because he didn't go with their opinions. They were constantly finding fault with Jesus and his disciples because they didn't follow their traditions. They didn't wash their hands like they say you're supposed to wash your hands. You know, and so this idea of I have a, an idea about what constitutes uh, righteousness for me and and, and so if, if I live according to that, then I'm good. And if I don't, then I'm not. And if you don't live according to my standards of what I say is right and wrong, then you're not right either. You know? And that leads to judgmentalism. It, judge, it, it leads to self-righteousness. It leads to spiritual pride, which is an oxymoron, by the way. You can't be spiritual and proud. But anyway, uh, it leads to all of that. And that characterizes the Pharisees. Now, on the, on the, so, another question. Do I think that I'm justified by anything? Now, I see people, you know, you can get legalistic about anything. You can get legalistic about the foods you eat. I mean, I think people are, can be legalistic about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. I mean, all of these things, it's, it's important to have, you know, ideas about what you believe in and what you structure your life by and what you call good and what you call evil that's fine but you know what if the bible doesn't talk about it keep your opinions to yourself and live according to your conscience but don't think that you're god junior to go around and judge everybody else that's not your job and by the way it doesn't make you more righteous if you eat the banana cream pie or if you 
renounce all sugar. You're not any more righteous. You might be lower weight, but you're not any more righteous. Okay, you see what I mean? We can do this in so many different crazy opinions that we get. And we start getting judgmental. Uh, and we, or we start thinking, oh no, you know, I'm crushed. My conscience is broken. Why? Because I ate the banana cream pie. Oh no. It's like, you know, don't put on yourself false guilt. Okay. Now, obviously, if God has given you a conviction about something, that's between you and the Lord. You need to obey that. But the, so this legalistic thing was a problem and it can corrupt the church as people get off on all these stupid tangents and they're not really taking Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and what does the word actually say? And their opinions become exalted, like with the Pharisees, to the, to the level of the word of God. And it should never be that way. I love what Spurgeon said. And he said, if I compare my opinions to the word of God, it's like shining a candle in comparison to the sun. That's the way we should look at all of these things. Okay, so now the Sadducees, Jesus said, okay, beware of them too. And their leaven, uh, that was different from the Pharisees because they didn't believe in the, the resurrection, the angels, and in spirits. And of course, they tried to test Jesus one day, Matthew chapter 22, 23. We'll get to this later, but they, they gave him this scenario of this woman who was married to a man and then he died. And of course, according to the Leveret, uh, thing in the law that the brother was to then take the widow and marry her and bring up uh, an heir for the deceased brother in his name. And so so they have this elaborate scenario and they have like, uh, she marries the first, he dies, then she marries his brother, he dies, and she marries the next brother. And the, so seven brothers for this one woman, finally she drinks her, she eats her own soup and she dies, okay? Uh, that's and so the point was, is okay, well, in the resurrection, then whose uh, wife will she be? Since they, you know, seven of them all had her. And Jesus says, here's the problem with you guys. Uh, <laughs> number one, you got too much time on your hand to dream this thing up, right? Um, but uh, no, he says, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, because in the resurrection they neither marry nor give in marriage, but they are like the angels of God in heaven. So, but notice here, he, he pins them to the wall. What was the problem with the Sadducees? Uh, well, he, he said, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Their leaven was the leaven of unbelief, which was why they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits, i.e. eternal life. And, you know, all that uh, and because of their unbelief and unbelief has been a great leaven in the church. We see that today in those that, you know, would would look at the miracles of the uh, of the scripture and they would deny the inerrancy of this, the word of God. They they claim that, you know, they deny the virgin birth. They deny the resurre- the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They the, de- deny that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. You know, they go through and they even deny that Isaiah even wrote Isaiah or Daniel even wrote Daniel. You know, and they go through and it's this leaven of unbelief because they don't know the scriptures. They don't know the power of God and they they just explain away all of the miracles of God. Well, listen, if we do that, we have nothing, folks. Our whole basis 
of what we believe as Jesus, Paul said, look, if Christ is not resurrected, we of all men are the most to be pitied. We're fools. Because we're basing everything on a lie. And so this leaven of unbelief that takes root of people's hearts uh, is just terrible. And, it became, and you have nothing left. Of course, the Sadducees became very materialistic because you have nothing left. If you deny the spiritual, you have nothing left but the material world. And so we got to be careful of that leaven. It's interesting. A recent survey uh, has found that only 35% of Americans believe salvation is obtained through faith in Christ alone. Only 35% of Americans. While 48% believe salvation can be earned through being a good person. Arizona Christian University ACU reports. The poll also found that 52% of people who identify as Christian believe works can be a means to obtain God's salvation. Why is this happening? Because people are not believing the testimony of the Word of God. They're not meditating on the Word of God. They don't know the Scriptures. They're like the Sadducees. They don't know the power of God. They don't realize, number one, how sinful they really are and that their works could never undo their sins. Only G- And if that were the case, then Christ died on the cross in vain. So, so this is the problem with the unbelief that has, has come into uh, the church and in people's hearts. So another question, do I find myself questioning the things I've been taught from the study of God's word? Or do I just believe it? I, my, my great-grandfather, I never got to meet him, but I heard this one quote from him. He said, <laughs> he said uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Amen? I think it's like a simple plan of living, right? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, and that really ought to be a simple faith that we have in Christ and his word. All right. The next thing Jesus said, Mark eight fifteen. Uh, he he again he's talking to his disciples. He said, "Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." Oh, the leaven of Herod! What is the leaven of Herod now? Okay, it's all kinds of leaven here, um, and so well. We kind of have to go back a bit to understand a little bit about Herod. If you want to get really absolutely confused out of your mind, try to figure out the Herod dynasty. Good luck. There's so many cross things and people getting killed and remarrying their, their family members. It's, it's a mess. But, but it begins with Herod the Great. Okay? Now, Herod the Great, uh, was that because he, he, he was the king of the whole uh, nation of Israel? Um, and, you know, he was about many big work building projects. Uh, it's amazing. You go to Israel today, you go to Jerusalem, you can see these great stones that he actually cut. They exist to the, to the day. Uh, and when he, when he rebuilt the temple, really kind of remodeled it and made it very opulent. Uh, he was really into that kind of stuff. Um, but he was very ruthless. He killed his favorite wife. He had 10 of them. He killed his favorite wife. He killed the two sons that she bore to him because he was paranoid. Uh, Of course, we know that he killed 
all of the babies that were two years old and under in Bethlehem to try to wipe out Christ. Uh, he's just a mess, okay? Um, and he died when he, in, in 4 BC. But prior to his death, one of his sons, Herod Antipas, spent his childhood in Rome where he received an education and established connections in order, you know, with the emperor and so forth, in order to maintain Herod the Great's friendly relationships with Rome. So he was sort of an ambassador for his dad. Now, Herod the Great died in 4 BC, and Herod Antipas became the Tetrarch of Galilee. He was only able to rule a quarter of the kingdom that his father had ruled, uh, which included Galilee and Perea. He was a contemporary of John the Baptist and of Jesus. Now, he divorced his own wife. He'd been hanging out with his brother Philip, and he fell in love with Herodias, Philip's wife, his brother's wife. He married her, and of course, that brought down upon his head the rebuke of John the Baptist, and Herodias didn't like that, so she had Herod uh, Antipas lock up John the Baptist for what he was saying, and of course he was in prison, and Herod would go and listen to him, you know, but he, he was never repentant. He was sort of entertained by this guy, but never moved to conversion or repentance. Um, of course, we'll see that, uh, you know, when his Herodias' daughter danced for him and pleased him, and she, he promised to give her whatever she wanted, she said, well, give me the head of John the Baptist. So he killed and beheaded uh, John the Baptist. It's interesting that at one point, the Pharisees warned Jesus that Herod wanted to kill him. And, and Jesus called him a fox, uh, probably because he was shrewd and cunning, you know. Um, later, Jesus appears before Herod after he's arrested and taken before Pilate. Pilate finds out he's from Galilee, sends him to Herod. So he goes before Herod. But, you know, it says that Herod was hoping that Jesus would perform some miracle, like a parlor trick or something. Jesus didn't do anything. In fact, he's the one guy Jesus did not even say a word to. Okay? And so, so what is uh, this leaven of Herod anyway? When Jesus says, beware of that. Well, it's a little bit harder to define because he's sort of all over the map. But probably worldly compromise, materialism, wickedness. These are all sort of indicative of who Herod was and could apply to this fox Herod, um, clearly, he lived for the things of the flesh rather than the things of the spirit. There was this worldly influence. You know, we're told not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our mind. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, okay? And we're told not to love this world because if we have the love of this world, we don't have the love of the Father in us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. These things that are part of this material world and they can sort of captivate us and, and remove our attention away from Jesus in the kingdom of God and we get wrapped up in feeding the flesh rather than in feeding the spirit. That's a problem and it's a leaven that can corrupt. And infiltrate the church and us personally. So am I seeking to gratify my flesh? Or am I seeking to walk in the spirit? 
And I think that that's a, a question we should all always be asking ourselves. Um, God gives us great things, you know. He gives us all things for our enjoyment. As we walk with Him, He's a good Father. But, you know, what's our focus? Are we walking in the flesh? Or are we walking in the Spirit? The two war against each other, we're told. And, and Herod was definitely a guy walking after the flesh, okay, in every way. All right, the next thing is uh, the Apostle Paul mentions the last form of leaven we'll look at. 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, of course, the church in Corinth had problems with uh, sexual immorality. There was a big problem why Paul had to write this letter. He said to them, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. The problem was this, you know, Paul is saying, look, you guys have a form of sexual immorality that's even gagging the Gentiles, okay? you got a guy among you, and he's, he's having sex with his father's wife, probably uh, his stepmother, an incestuous relationship, and you're doing nothing about it. You ought to be like mourning over this. Instead, you're, you're, you're so puffed up about your liberality and your tolerance of being able to accept anything. You know, what is wrong with you, you see? This, I mean, this is even causing the Gentiles to get sick, okay? But you're doing nothing about it. And so that is uh, 11 also uh, that he talks about um, here. And, you know, he, as we'll see here just in verse 6, you know, he talks about being 11. But um, we witness that same phenomenon happening today through the influence of of our culture. This leaven of sexual immorality that has infiltrated every strata of our culture, whether in the church or outside of the church. And we're talking pornography, we're talking fornication, we're talking adultery, we're talking homosexuality. All of these things, these sexual perversions, sexual obsessions that have infiltrated the church and people's hearts in the church as well. And so that's a leaven that will corrupt and destroy and disintegrate our spirituality. And that's why Paul went to great lengths. He said, look, don't be deceived. If you practice these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And we're told, we're preached by our culture. We need to be tolerant of these things. And if we're not tolerant, if we don't accept them, then we're, you know, we're guilty of hate speech or hate crimes or what. Look. We have to hate what God hates and we have to love what he loves. We don't have to hate the people. They're sinners like we're sinners. But we can't let the sin go unchecked. And we have to watch our own hearts. We have, Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. I say watching your life means watching my heart. Because my heart can lead me astray and can be wrapped up in anything. Uh, and so... So this is what we have to watch for. This is a leaven that spreads throughout church, can spread in our own beings. Okay, I love this one story. Skip Heisick, you know, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor in Albuquerque. There was a couple who came to his church, you know. They were living together. 
you know, and they came up to him and he said, hey, we're so happy to be part of your church because we, we hear that you're a church that just accepts people the way they are. And so, so Skip said, you know what, you're right. The Lord will accept you the way you are, where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are, okay? <laughs> He's going to make changes in your life. He's going to call you to repentance. And, uh, and I love that because that's, that's what we always, you know, we want to welcome people. Obviously, we don't clean people up before they come to Jesus. I like to say Jesus does not clean his fish before he first catches them. Okay? <laughs> we just bring him to Jesus and say, look, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. You know, let Jesus clean up your life. But at the same time, we've got to realize we can't allow things, you know, if people are, are, are pretending like they're Christians, but they're living uh, in sin, we who love them are to go to them and restore them gently, okay? Uh, that's part of it. We don't leave them where they're at. Uh, we love them enough to help them walk a life of holiness. Amen? So, boy, it's quiet in here. It's because <laughs> there's fewer people, so fewer reactions, I suppose. Um, I'll get the, Dave will get those letters this week. Anyway, uh, now, what is, why is leaven so dangerous? Okay, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The problem is if any of these things are not put in check, it will ultimately spread through the entire church and ultimately destroy it, break it apart. You know, one thing about uh, leaven. Now, I like, okay, I, I like to make sourdough bread. Okay, it's one of the things I do. I, I give it out to my neighbors. It's just sort of a way for me to connect with them. But you take this sourdough culture and, uh, and you put a little bit of it in your bread and what, in your, you know, your flour. And what it's actually doing is it is disintegrating the molecular structure of that flour. It's, it's converting the sugars in the flour, you know, into carbon dioxide. That's, of course, what gives you the, the gas bubbles that causes it to rise. But it's also taking, like, the gluten. Okay, now, gluten is, it has adhesive properties to it. That's why you can mix flour and water and you make paste, you know. You maybe did that in preschool. Uh, uh, but the thing is, is that that, fermentation process actually breaks down the gluten is disintegrating that stickiness that cohesive property of the gluten and the elasticity which allows bread to actually rise and not just sort of fall apart it's breaking that down over time now i think that that sounded kind of interesting because that was actually the yeast that they used back then it was just sort of a sourdough culture and so uh, they couldn't go back out, out in the store and buy Fleshman's little, you know, packets of yeast. They, they had to just keep their starter around and they would make their next batch of dough. And I, you're, I, you're probably getting, say, what the heck? You're te- teaching me all about uh, bread. I don't care. Uh, but understand here, it's kind of interesting, I think, because what you see happen is when there is leaven that goes unchecked in the church, it breaks down, it disintegrates. It breaks down our cohesiveness as the body of Christ. What was so beautiful on Friday was here was the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, worshiping Jesus together, the understanding that we have Christ in common. That should cause us to be able to stick together and to be flexible, my friends, to have inelasticity in us. 
The problem is we can get so set in our ways and so digging our heels in and our particular doctrine or whatever that we can't play ball with each other. Do you know that we had some churches in Caldwell? I don't even know who they are. I don't want to know who they are. But they didn't want to come out because they felt like we were, you know, from Boise trying to show Caldwell how to do it. Like, what? I mean... If they knew me, they would know that was not in my heart at all. We were just trying to get everybody again. We had to go to Caldwell because Canyon County let people still get together in groups. They don't do that in Ada County right now. So that was the only reason. But it's just like people get so hung up on their weird, quirky things that they can't play ball together. There's no integration. There's no flexibility. And because of that, the church is fragmented. It's disintegrated. And rather than us being together on the same page to simply exalt Jesus Christ and preach the gospel and go into the world and make a difference, we're fighting and fussing over the stupidest things. Amen? Amen. So that's part of this leaven that occurs when it gets into the church and infiltrates. And so that's why, you know, we're, we need to get rid of it. And what does Paul say? Verse, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 uh, you know, he said, oh, last thing, it puffs people up. That's what he said. He said, you're puffed up. And <laughs> the problem is, when, you know, there's that, that thing. When there's leaven involved, it puffs people up. Rather than having love, they get conceited, in, inflated in their own minds and in their own attitudes and beliefs and opinions and all of that. And love gets sacrificed. Okay. So what do we do? He says, verse 7, therefore purge out the leaven, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. What do you do? Get rid of it. You see any of these things in your life? Get rid of it. Just say, God, help me. Get rid of this garbage. This sort of influence that is not of you. It's not of the Spirit. It's not of the Word. It's not of the kingdom. It's of the world. It's of the flesh. It's not of you. Get rid of it. There may need to be a little sort of heart cleansing here. <laughs> House cleansing. Yeah. Um, the type of this that is in the scripture. In Exodus, where, where God says, okay, you guys, you're going to celebrate the Passover. And before you do, I want you to get rid of all the leaven out of your house. And to the present day, the Jews will do this, you know. Right before the day, the day before Passover, they go through, they get rid of all of their leavened bread. They give it to their Gentile neighbors. Uh, They go through and they they clear out the house. And of course, they make a game out of it because the mother typically will like leave us some crumbs on the counter or something. And the father has to go around with with a feather and a a little thing. And he has to like a, a spoon and a feather and he you know, gathers it up and, and takes out the last bit of leaven. You know, that's his big role, okay? After mama's done all the work, he comes in, scoops in a crumb, and he said, see, I've done it now. Uh, and they got rid of the leaven, okay? But the point of it is, that leaven is a symbol of evil. And they want to be an unleavened people, without hypocrisy, without evil. And so that's what he's saying. Why? Because Jesus is unleavened. He's our an unleavened Passover lamb, you know. That's why when we do communion, we always have unleavened bread because it's representing Christ without sin, without corruption. 
pure, holy. We're to be holy as he is holy. And so, I'll just end with this. Here's David's prayer. Wherever you're at, okay? Listen. God said, be holy as I am holy. The Lord said that. And, and I think that if, if we allow the Lord to really examine our hearts, if we allow the Lord to do some house cleaning in our, in our hearts, in, in where our affections are, because we can be limited, we can be constrained, we can be corrupted by our affections when they are misplaced. If we say, Lord, as David said in Psalm 139, 23, he said, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. And God, we just thank you for the fact that you love us enough Lord, to speak the truth to us. And Lord, I just pray truly that you would search our hearts, Lord. I pray you search my heart. Lord, I was just so blessed on Friday to see what can happen when we just get out of the way, when we just focus on you, when we just delight ourselves in you and you do a wonderful work. Lord, we need that in your church. Lord, if we, your church, would seek your face, would get rid of the, the leaven in our lives and, and turn away from the wicked things, Lord. The things of this world, the things that occupy our hearts and minds but have nothing to do with your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, I, I believe that you would bring forth such a great revival in our land, in our churches, an awakening for people who are lost in darkness and sin and hatred, and violence, and immorality, and, and the whole gamut, Lord. I pray, Father, begin with us. Lord, if there's any area in our lives that, where we need to be purged of the old leaven of sin, Lord, we ask that you would come in, cleanse us. Make us willing, Lord, to have your way in us. And Lord, if there's any today that have not yet opened the door and asked you, Jesus, to come and give them grace, and give them salvation, and forgive them of their sins, that I, I would pray, Lord, that they would just open the door of their heart to you and say, Jesus, come in, forgive me of my sins, and make me a new creation in you. In your name we pray. Amen.